0: You're listening to WJMSradio.com, where radio is reimagined. The Fired Up show starts right now. And here we are. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome back to Fired Up, right here on WJMSradio.com. This is Steve, and I host the show each week as we get into and look under the hood of the politics system here in the United States of America. So... Welcome to the, I don't know, the fourth week of January, 2021, or the 56th week of 2020. Uh, it is the Biden administration. Uh, so depending on how you look at it, whether you're an optimist, a pessimist, or just a realist, uh, we're now here in you know, the, the brave new world of the Biden administration, And uh, even though it is that, as I said, you know, new world, new administration, new day, a lot of the same things that we had in 2020 seem to be shaping up like they're going to be with us in 2021. And I don't just mean the coronavirus, which we will talk about just now. Uh, As always, we do our numbers at the start of the show. Uh, We're currently up to around 25.1 million cases of COVID-19, and we've had uh, 418,700 people who have died from the disease. And as I added our new count late last year, uh, we're now keeping track of the vaccinations, and we're up to 21.8 million people who have been vaccinated against the coronavirus uh, pandemic. Uh, Keeping on the subject for a a moment, uh, some things to make note of. The Biden administration uh, on day one uh, and the first three days of his administration, President Biden has signed no less than 14 uh, executive orders and directives aimed at laying the groundwork for the battle against the coronavirus disease that the Biden team promised during the campaign and appears to be getting underway with the actual uh, battle strategy going forward. A lot of that is going to hang in wait of you know, appointments and approvals by the Senate of various members of Biden's cabinet. Uh, which as of the recording of this show, uh, only about four, I believe, have been approved uh, by the Senate with, I don't know, 17 or 18 more to go. So we're going to talk about that too in the political segment of the show coming up in a little bit. Uh, We'll touch back on that. Um, But it is clear that, you know, the Biden administration aims to make good on its aggressive plan for bringing the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic under some form of control uh, in, in as quick a fashion as possible. Uh, he's already committed to activating the DPA, the Defense Production Act, uh, to increase the distribution and, uh, and spreading of the vaccines around the country to ramp up with any additional needs for other you know, infrastructure components such as PPE, masks, gowns, uh, ventilators, etc., Uh, He's clearly taking, you know, an active stance on that. He promised during the campaign that would be, you know, his number one focus as soon as he came into office. And so far, he is uh, holding up to that promise. We're also going to touch a little bit on the executive actions that President Biden has, in fact, signed in his first uh, week as president. And uh, we'll get to that as well later on in the show. Uh, One of the things that President Biden has gone on the record for is saying that he is is setting a target of having 100 million doses of the uh, vaccine uh, in the arms of American people uh, by the end of his first 100 days. And, you know, while to the the layperson that may seem like a daunting task, keep in mind that there have been uh, at least three occasions or as many as maybe four occasions where there have been more than a million uh, vaccinations in one day uh, in this country. So the goal is obviously doable. How we get there is where the real challenge lies. Um, There are discussions going on about expanding the distribution points for the vaccine to a wider uh, collection of players. Uh, including pharmacies, you know, think CVS, Walgreens, uh, Walmart, and uh, other, you know, medical and quasi-medical facilities where, you know, people who can, are trained or can be trained to administer the vaccine will be. And then the biggest challenge, which we're already starting to see in some states, um, New York for one, uh, several others, where the supply of actual vaccine is not keeping up with uh, the demand. Uh, Appointments have had to be uh, canceled if they were already scheduled for getting the vaccination, uh, simply because the available uh, dosages just weren't available uh, in the locations where the appointments were set up for. So there's work to be done. The Biden administration is uh, moving at uh, all diligent speed to try and address the critical elements of uh, vaccinating and protecting the American people from this pandemic and, you know, is making significant progress. As I said, you know, they've they've done 21.8 million vaccines to date, and they continue going at a pace aiming toward, you know, more than a million uh, vaccinations a day in, in the steady state to make sure that you know, we get as many people as possible vaccinated. The current timeline coming out from uh, Dr. Fauci, who is the you know, head of the uh, medical arm of the coronavirus task force for the White House, uh, is saying that, you know, the 100 million doses uh, is you know, the floor of the goal. It is not the ceiling. You know, they're looking to surpass that. And he said, the more that we can surpass that hundred million vaccines in a hundred days, so much the better. And we wish all of them, the the doctors and the medical people and the scientific people, Godspeed on achieving that goal. So, you know, what what does this mean for you and me and the average person? Uh, We are still going to need to to be patient. I Just in in personal side, I checked with my doctor um, just this past week during one of my regular checkups and found out that uh, it's likely that I would be in line, for example, to get the vaccine uh, sometime, you know, by about mid to late spring or early summer. And, you know, keep in mind that, you know, I actually have several uh, underlying conditions which... Uh, put me at a a slightly higher priority list uh, for getting the vaccine. So, you know, we're just going to have to do what we do. You know, wash our hands, don't touch our our face, our eyes, or nose, or mouth. Uh, Wear a mask when we're in public or where we are in groups and can't socially distance. Make sure that we're wearing our mask. Uh, Stay home unless it's absolutely necessary for you to be out and about. You know, do what we need to do in order to keep ourselves, our families, our communities, and our country safe uh, as we await, you know, widespread distribution of the vaccine. So, you know, it's an ongoing process, and we need to make sure that we are, in fact, you know, following the procedures uh, set out for us. It's for our own good, and, you know, it is, it is something that, you know, we, the American people, need to take to heart as doing our part to help keep our country safe. So with that being said, um, let's get on into some of the other things that have been going on. Um, As I said, you know, the Biden administration uh, came into authority on the 20th. So in in the space of now five days, uh, we have seen some 30 uh, plus executive orders and directives issued by uh, President Biden. And we're going to take a few minutes and we're going to go through some of the, some of the more prominent ones um, you know, and, and kind of take them in, in date order. Uh, on January 20th, literally, you know, moments and hours after taking the oath of office, um, President Biden uh, issued the first 17, Uh, executive orders, um, requests, or um, directives uh, to go out for various uh, parts and and components of uh, the government administration. And, you know, some of them, you know, obviously the first ones that he signed were revolving around the COVID-19 response. Um, he signed an executive order creating the position of COVID-19 response coordinator, and he has appointed someone to head up that, uh, that department, that task. Uh, he has reengaged the United States uh, with the World Health Organization, uh, reversing uh, the, the disengagement that had been put forward by the prior administration. Uh, He also signed an order rejoining the Paris Climate Agreement, Um, and that, too, was a a reversal of a prior decision from the Trump administration. Uh, He signed an executive order revoking the permit for the Keystone XL pipeline. Uh, He has signed an order to uh, stop the construction on the wall at the southern border and... um, just a a, a bunch of other things. Let me pick a few more here to to go through. He signed a request to ask agencies to extend the eviction foreclosure moratoriums for homeowners and renters, uh, and that will go out till the 30th of March. Um, Side note, I would anticipate that that is going to be further extended as that deadline gets closer and closer, given the timeline of what we're seeing with Um, the the path of the pandemic and and how it's progressing and how we are fighting it. So that will likely be an an additional extension coming down the road. Um, He asked the education department to extend the student loan pause. uh, And I believe that's going to go until September, uh, if the information I've seen is correct. Uh, He's launched an initiative to advance racial equity. And end the, quote, 1776 commission, uh, which was put in place by former President Trump to review and, quote, update, close, quote, American history uh, to reflect a slightly different perspective than what it currently does. Most notably in its treatment of um, minorities and immigrants and so on and so forth. Um He revoked an order that aims to exclude undocumented immigrants from the census. Again, this was a big push by uh, his predecessor to have the the U.S. census, which is done every 10 years, only count citizens uh, in contrast to what it says in the Constitution that says it's all persons residing in the, the area of the United States. Uh, additionally, with regard to immigrants, uh, he has uh, issued a a memorandum or directive memorandum to uh, review, preserve, and fortify DACA. Uh, basically, looking to find a pathway for DACA recipients, not only to not lose their status, but also to establish a a firm commitment. On a path to citizenship for them. Uh, in again in the the COVID uh, area, he signed an order requiring masks and social distancing on all federal property, and by all federal workers. Uh, he also uh, signed a order mandating masks be worn on all intra-state uh, or interstate travel, whether by plane, train, bus, or Uh, ferry or boat um, to make that a requirement for everyone on any form of interstate transportation uh, public transportation that is to uh, wear a mask at all times Uh, some other things he's uh, signed a a memorandum uh, to modernize and improve regulatory review Uh, to end harsh and discriminatory immigration enforcement. Uh, He is uh, increasing the FEMA reimbursement to states for expenses for the National Guard uh, and for PPE and other equipment in their combating the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, He's expanding uh, by executive order. He's established a pandemic testing board to review, evaluate, and expand COVID-19 testing across the country. Uh, And he is working to bolster access to COVID-19 treatments and clinical care to improve collection and analysis of COVID-related data and to mount a vaccination campaign, as I said earlier, uh, setting such goals as 100 million shots in the first 100 days. He's also setting up an executive order uh, for government government agencies to provide guidance on safely reopening schools and OSHA guidance for keeping workers safe from Um, COVID-19. What else we got? Uh, Asking agencies to boost food aid and improve delivery of stimulus checks uh, as in response to the economic distress that the pandemic has caused. And to restore collective ba- bargaining power for federal workers. Uh, again, an executive order uh, reversing a decision in the prior administration that weakened uh, bargaining power in unions for federal and some non-federal workers at, as well. And that's just a, that's just a selection of them. Um, he, he, by he, I mean President Biden has been using extensively his power of executive order as he awaits for the Senate to complete confirmations on his cabinet appointees. Uh, to date, as I think I mentioned, uh, I believe four have been approved um, and you know there are anywhere from 15 to 17 other Senate required approvals that need to be done as well as a whole host of lower level uh, approvals that are needed as well. Normally, these are done by what is called unanimous consent. That is, the name is brought up on the floor of the Senate, uh, the position for which they are nominated is uh, described, and the chair will call for unanimous consent by voice vote, yes you know, or nays, as to whether or not the appointment is confirmed. However, um, the Senate, and, and we're going to talk about this in the next segment, uh, has been slow walking these as, as part of a negotiation tool you know, by now minority leader Mitch McConnell and the Republicans to uh, force the Democrats to make concessions on some key components of uh, the operating rules and other things that uh, is needed for the Senate to fully function. And as I said, we're going to, uh, delve into that in a little more detail, uh, as we come into the next segment. So, uh, let's take our first break here. We'll pick up that discussion right after the break. And right after we do a public service announcement from your friends here at WJMSRadio.com and the fired up radio show. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this very quick break. I'm Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Because of the COVID-19 virus, we have had to learn new ways to be together. We've had to find new ways to communicate. We have to find new ways to play. And we have to find new ways to keep each other safe. For myself and my family, I'm going to take the COVID-19 vaccine. To learn more about the vaccine, go to cdc.gov. Let's do this together. Welcome back, and thanks to the Centers for Disease Control for that public service announcement, which we are happy to play here on the Fired Up Radio program and WJMS.com. Uh, picking up where we left off, you know, we're talking about our, our new day, new time here in the new administration. And uh, it's interesting to note that even though the administration is new and there have been you know some changes in the balance of power, in government in Washington DC apparently what was old is new again and by that I mean uh, what I see starting to develop coming out of the House of Representatives and the Senate in particular uh, is a return to kind of the tactics and strategy you know particularly by the Republicans that we saw in uh, 2010 after the midterms during the Obama administration where the Republicans dug in their heels and took an obstructionist approach to all of the, the process and procedures and things that the Democrats wanted to get accomplished uh, through you know, flexing the use of their majority power at the time. Well now, even though there is a change in that uh, we no longer have the Republicans with an outright numerical advantage uh, in the Senate in particular. Uh, The Democrats now hold a one-seat majority uh, via the fact that Kamala Harris, the new Vice President, uh, sits as the President of the Senate and is available to break any tie votes. Uh, However, at 50-50, where still some legislation requires you know a 60 vote uh majority in order to to pass uh that means that the democrats are going to have to work with the republicans and identify you know senators who are willing to work with them in other words to cross the aisle and vote with them on you know key elements that they wish to get across and You know, while our our hope, our optimistic hope is that that will become something that we can see occur on, you know, something like a regular basis, uh, the pessimistic, more realistic approach is that it is not as easy as it sounds. Uh, As I said, the Republicans control 50 seats, the Democrats control 50 seats, and with the vice president sitting as the president, they have a one vote majority. So let, let's take a quick look at what that means from a governance standpoint. First and foremost, uh, the Democrats are in fact in control of the Senate by that one vote majority. However, because the sitting seats in the Senate are tied at 50 50, That means that the leadership of the Senate uh, has to operate on what are called power sharing rules uh, in order to move forward with reassigning committee chairmanships to the new majority party, uh, but maintaining uh, some level of involvement and even to a certain extent control through the exercise of their minority party rights in the Senate uh, to the Republican Party. And what we've seen that started almost immediately, and in fact, uh, even a little bit before the inauguration was concluded, was that uh, Chuck Schumer, the new Senate majority leader, and Mitch McConnell, the new minority uh, leader of uh, the Senate, Uh, had already started their discussions on what power sharing would look like under the new Senate and the 117th Congress. And that battle uh, is continuing to to move forward um, between the two of them as the Republicans are holding their agreement to the power sharing rules hostage to uh, some commitments they want to get from the Democrats. Uh, most notably, the Republicans want to see a continuation of the so-called filibuster rule, and what that means is that you know a a the minority party can delay votes by using the filibuster uh, in its new in its current form, I should say, uh, to delay votes uh, for as long as possible. Uh, actually. You know indefinitely, uh, and you know that can create a tremendous amount of problems for the majority party in terms of getting its agenda through. Let me tell you a little bit uh, about how that works, as far as I understand it. Uh, in the current rules right now, uh, a a opposing senator, a senator from the minority party, can stand up and object to a bill on the floor and in order for the bill to proceed a 60 vote majority needs to vote to override that delay otherwise known as invoking cloture uh, to end the debate on uh, the the objection and move forward to the vote on the floor that is dramatically different from what the filibuster used to be uh... some uh... twenty to thirty years ago and at that time what was necessary was for the objecting senator to rise to the floor you know under the rules the minority party has you know the right you know as the majority does to debate measures on the floor well under the old rules of filibuster a an opposing senator could stand up and basically hold the floor and speak for as long as they were physically able to do so uh, until you know either the measure would be tabled or withdrawn or a 60 vote majority could be obtained by the uh, majority side and that would invoke cloture ending the the time on the floor of the opposing senator and moving forward with the vote And, you know, for for those of you who are younger and may never have seen this in action, uh, the closest thing you might have seen if you look back over the last uh, 10 10 or 12 years or so, uh, uh, Senator Ted Cruz got up on the floor and read an excerpt of I Don't Like Green Eggs and Ham by Dr. Seuss uh, to his children uh, one late night in the Senate. As they held the floor uh, under a filibuster. Nowadays, uh, it is not a matter of you know personal stamina as to how long you can stand up there and talk. Uh, it is more a procedural procedural process where you know as long as the the party can debate or discuss the the objection, and this consists mostly of. Senators in agreement with the opposing senator, that is other members of the minority party, uh, requesting uh, that the senator would either yield for a question or would yield for a a statement of support uh, or, or, you know, would otherwise yield his or her time on the floor without giving up that time to allow the question or, you know, uh, procedural inquiry or whatever. Uh, to be brought out so what you can end up having is you know a a hold on an active vote on the floor for many hours you know 10 12 24 hours you know even longer as possible Um, whereas you know in the old days you know if, if the the senator's voice gave out or they just were exhausted and couldn't continue uh, they would relinquish the floor and the vote would go forward. Um, the Republicans have put forward to the Democrats that they um, want to keep the current filibuster rules. And the Democrats, according to the latest uh, information that I'm seeing on the subject, uh, are, are saying that the only way they'll allow a filibuster to remain in place is to go back to the old rules, which actually date back to 2001, uh, and you know that is where the argument lies. Now, that's one of the things that the Republicans have brought up in the discussions on power sharing. Um, the other is, are, are more procedural elements. Uh, revolving around you know control of the clock and you know and, and so forth but the net effect is that even though the democrats are in the majority in the senate the the how the senate committees are still under the control of the republicans until a new set of power sharing rules are adopted and agreed to by the full senate and Uh, I believe that adoption uh, requires a 60 vote majority to 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 win. So in order for the Democrats to get the power sharing rules they want uh, or they have negotiated to a vote, they've got to find, um, you know, nine more or 10 more senators from the Republican side to vote with them in order to adopt the new rules. Uh, In the meantime, uh, only some very uh, perfunctory kind of uh, events can take place. One of those is that appointments by the president for his cabinet uh, can be brought up, you know, debated and confirmed by the full Senate. Uh, That does not need a 60 vote majority. It merely needs 51. However, The Republicans are delaying the process uh, through questions and parliamentary procedures uh, to drag that out in, you know, a part of their effort to apply pressure to the Democrats to to yield to their requests for for rules. Um, As a result, you know, President Biden, uh, since he does not have uh, cabinet level. Uh, officers in place who can you know move their departments to get these tasks done or because the Senate is tied up in these procedural votes and cannot or will not vote on you know appointments or uh, bills that are are being brought forward Uh, for example the next round of economic stimulus package Uh, although the president can direct that the package be developed the plans be laid out it cannot be enacted without the the approval of the house for budgetary reasons and the senate for uh... legal reasons uh... in order for that to take effect so once again uh... the republicans in the senate are standing between the american people and the much needed economic aid that they need during the pandemic, not to mention uh, other programs like the, the Paycheck Protection Plan funding, the EIDL funding, uh, monies to go to the states to work on getting schools reopened, you know, all of the things that are tied to the pandemic that have, have been, you know, arguing points for nine months in 2020 uh, now have resurrected in a new form, but same effect here in 2021. Uh, so, you know, the, the key here is, you know, the Republicans and the, the Senate in general need to feel the pressure of the people to, to, uh, to break the, the logjam, move forward, Come to an agreement on the rules so that these important elements can move forward. And it doesn't matter, you know, which side of the aisle your party is on, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, because, you know, the the economic injury is affecting everyone in the country. Uh, you know, when you look at numbers for unemployment, when you look at numbers for, you know, people who are in uh you know food distress you know where where they're struggling to put food on the table where you look at people who are facing evictions or foreclosures uh these are not you know democrat or republican impacts uh you know if not just as many Quite a few of the people impacted by the pandemic uh, voted Republican as voted Democrat. It, it is the, the disease does not discriminate based on political party. So, you know, we need to make sure that just just like always that we are communicating with our elected officials, that we are, you know, emailing and faxing and calling and posting on their social media accounts uh our our displeasure at the delay and our demand that they do the job that we sent them there to do. So that that's you know our standing call to action. nothing has changed since 2020. So let's take a look at you know uh, some of the other political games that uh, are going on here as we you know go through and and get started and get into the, Biden administration here in the year 2021. Um, You know, as I've said, you know, McConnell and Schumer need to come to an agreement on the rule sharing or the power sharing process. Uh, They need to come to a decision on whether or not the filibuster is going to be eliminated or is going to take a new form, something that they can both agree to Uh, the Democrats. Uh, need to and are reaching out and trying to work with as many Republicans as they can in the Senate in particular, uh, again, with the tight majority that they hold, to try and identify the common ground that will let them work with their Republican colleagues. Uh, And a lot of discussion is going on about the kind of projects and the kind of bills that can build that bipartisan support And start to establish those relationships. And, and of course, one of the major ones uh, besides COVID-19 is infrastructure projects, such as highways and bridges and, you know, rebuilding schools and and other forms of, uh, you know, economic status that the federal government can put in place in the states in order to drive economic growth. Um, You know, and yet looming on the horizon, there's another holdover from 2020. Uh, As you may recall, uh, right before the inauguration, uh, the House uh, voted to impeach uh, now former President Donald Trump on the single charge of incitement to insurrection for his role and, and the role that he led others in the Republican Party to incite the crowd that attacked and invaded the U.S. Capitol building on January 6th, Uh, you know, including such elements as threatening uh, by hanging uh, the Vice President of the United States and looking to find and execute members of Congress and the Senate. Uh, That article uh, will be heading over to the Senate. Uh, Actually, uh, by the time this show is broadcast, uh, the article is likely already been walked over from the House chamber to the Senate chamber uh, and will be presented to the Senate for action. Uh, Latest information has the potential trial for uh, Donald Trump to start on February 9th. Uh, That's about two weeks away, and that's to give his defense team and the Senate Uh, or the the impeachment masters uh, to finalize their preparations for the trial. Um, Of course, Donald Trump is no longer in office as president, so the outcome should the Senate vote to convict uh, would be they will vote on the single uh, remaining um, outcome that they can, which is to preclude uh, Donald Trump from holding any elected office anywhere uh, in the country uh, for the rest of his life. Um, and, you know, we talked a little bit about that in the last show, how, you know, obviously there is some Democratic desire for that to happen, but there is also a substantial and significant Republican desire for for Donald Trump to be precluded from holding office for purely political reasons. There are a number of senators uh, in the Senate right now who are looking very carefully at you know 2024 as their chance to run, to, to take over the Republican Party and run for president uh, with names such as Cruz and Rubio and Hawley and uh, Graham among others. Uh, kind of leading that pack so you know there is some interest in republicans for seeing donald trump impeached for political reasons Uh, although the the trick for republicans is to balance that with the risk of you know potential backlash from the trump base which is still very loyal to donald trump And, you know, could create a mountain of problems for any candidate that they perceive having turned their back on Trump uh, in terms of their future political aspirations. So, you know, they they are they those aforementioned senators, among others, are looking to walk a very narrow tightrope between, you know, following the Constitution, doing their constitutional duty and you know and and punishing uh trump for the you know insurrection that he inspired and and he and others inspired on january 6th uh and the fact that doing so may you know bring them the wrath of the trump supporting members of the current republican party um you know the So that that creates a scenario where, you know, the Democrats need to move forward with their agenda, getting cabinet appointments uh, concluded, uh, starting to get uh, legislation signed into law on some of the key things that they promised in the campaign for their first hundred days and so forth. And balancing that with the Senate requirement to take up the trial of Donald Trump. Uh, on the single-count impeachment article that was brought over from the House. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. We'll stay tuned to it. We'll bring you any updates that we have, as we always do in, in our weekly shows. Uh, we'll take a quick break here, and we'll come right back after this second uh, public service announcement from your friends here at WJMS Radio and the Fired Up Radio podcast. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. i am Audrey Jackson. I'm Greg Jackson. On February 19th, at 4 a.m., a gun was used to take my son from me. You know him as Pop Smoke. We call him Char. Because of gun violence, I'll never see my son run up the front of our steps, taking them two at a time. He won't ever take my hands again and dance with me. He won't come into my room and muscle pose in the mirror. Gun violence destroys families. It must stop. And welcome back for the final segment right here on Fired Up Radio and WJMS.com. So, um, picking up and tailing with uh, what we were just talking about, uh, the former President Donald Trump uh, is facing trial in the Senate for inciting the insurrection that occurred on January 6th at the nation's capital. And it's... It's just the latest uh, display, if you will, of just how violent a place uh, America is these days. Uh, Over the course of the last, you know, more than four years, but over over the course of the last four years in particular, we have seen just a tremendous rise in the amount of violent acts that have occurred here in our country. And, you know, it's I'm not just talking about, you know, the the protests in the streets or, you know, things like that. We've talked extensively about the number of people of color who have been uh, assaulted or killed uh, by law enforcement in this country. Um, But even even more than that, the increase we have seen in domestic violence, the increases we have seen in. Um, You know, obviously racial violence going on, as I just mentioned, uh, but just a general trend toward a more violent and argumentative approach to nearly everything in this country. And, you know, it's something that, you know, we are all going to have to uh, line up shoulder to shoulder and and, uh, work on finding ways to solve these problems. Uh, if we are going to restore, you know, our country to its leadership role in the world, as well as just to improve overall life in the United States of America for everyone in general, um, you know, the the acts in the Capitol uh, just were a a window into how reactions can get out of hand and out of control to you know our differences uh you know and I, i'm not just talking about whether or not uh you voted for trump or you voted for biden um but just if if you look and listen uh you can just see that the level of anger is is bubbling just beneath the surface uh, i i know in in you know, in my social media journeys through the various platforms, that a lot of people that I am in you know contact with through social media, um, their their anger, their disbelief, or whatever you want to call it, uh, to the Biden presidency has moved out front and center and become you know part of the fabric of discussion in in our our media in our our conversations and our social media and all of it Um, you know it's it's amazing to see the reactions from people I I did not know uh, they even though I've known them for a while and you know we've been connected through social media for a number of years um, I did not know that that they harbored these feelings so uh, just something that we are going to need to work on collectively as Americans, not as Democrats, not as Republicans, uh, it's something we're going to have to to face, own up to, live up to, and and take a stand on as we go forward. Um, in in other news, and and since you know we've been talking about former President Trump for the last few minutes, uh, want to circle out of that and just finalize with, uh. I, Slightly before he left office, as most presidents do, President Trump issued uh, a number of pardons and commutations of sentences uh, for individuals, uh, as is allowed. It's, it's one of the pure powers that the Constitution grants the president as chief executive. He has the absolute power to pardon uh, anyone for federal crimes. And uh, in the last uh, month or in the month of January alone, uh, Donald Trump pardoned 116 individuals, uh, uh, bringing his total for his presidency up to more than 143, which is the largest number of pardons granted uh, in at least the modern history of the presidency by any uh, sitting president uh, going on. And, you know, some of the people that made it onto the Trump pardon list, uh, you know, fell into a couple of different categories. Some, they were longtime loyalists uh, to Donald Trump and, you know, the name at the top of the list, Roger Stone, Paul Manafort. Uh, Others were, you know, friends and and connected individuals uh, to Donald Trump, uh, Charles Kushner who happens to be the father of the president's son-in-law, uh, Jared. Um, there were any number of, you know, uh, state-level, you know, party members and, and others that were brought forward. There were even a few rappers. Uh, Lil Wayne was pardoned by the president. Um, and as I look through the list of the 116 Uh, pardons that was uh, put forward by the president and you can look this up on social media you know if you you know if you google who what people did president trump pardon you'll get the full list with what they did and you know when when they were convicted and so forth and what you find or what i found in looking at this list is and an overwhelming number of them were not part, were pardoned not for hard crimes, you know, whether it, you know, was um, you know, assault or you know, threatening you know, non, non-lethal crimes, but uh, nevertheless were not white-collar crimes as they're called, but the overwhelming majority of them were those that fall into the so-called white-collar crime categories. A lot of, you know, fraud, a lot lot of, uh, you know, conspiracy charges, a lot of violation of federal enforcement procedures, um, you know, just a lot of bank fraud, wire fraud, mail fraud, uh, conspiracy to commit honest services, wire fraud, which is doing a fraudulent business uh over an electronic communication means um some that stood out as as kind of eyebrow raising uh he he commuted the sentence uh of a a person in florida robert douglas boker uh, in florida for wildlife smuggling um you know but the overwhelming majority of them were things like security fraud um you know, there was, there's one out of New York, uh, conspiracy to defraud the United States, fraud by wire, radio or television, 35 counts, uh, scheme to defraud, money state tax stamps, transportation of stolen property. Um, uh, among the, the, the standouts, as I said, um, uh, Dwayne Michael Carter, better known as Lil Wayne was uh his sentence was pardoned for possession of firearms and ammunition by a convicted felon which came out of him bringing a firearm into i believe an airport so you know president trump seemed to go out of his way to pardon a lot of people who uh dare i say would would likely be members of the same club as him in terms of uh, illegal or you know, improper activities uh, as we have seen and, and we have seen charged uh, to the president over the time that he's been in office. So as I said, 143 over his, uh, over his term and 116 of those were done in the month of January alone. Uh, and you know, if you read the names and look at the charges and you know what they were convicted of uh it is interestingly consistent on uh things that involved uh fraud money laundering bribery uh along those lines uh tax evasion and and so on and so forth now you know what i i don't see, and maybe it's just a lack of information in the sourcing that I used. Um, I didn't see uh, any cases where he commuted a a sentence of death. I know he has done it, but um, I don't see anybody on this last list that were you know sitting on death row that he has commuted their sentence. Now. It should be explained that with a presidential commutation of a sentence, it doesn't mean that they're, they're freed from prison as it does with you know, a parole or pardon. But it means that their, sent- their death sentence is eliminated and it is converted uh, to a life sentence. And basically, they will need to go back before a judge and have their sentence reinstated um, based on the evidence and based on, you know, the the information provided as to, you know, the the, the status of their remaining sentence, whether it is life, whether it is life without parole, whether they can be eligible for parole, etc. And so forth. So, you know, as, as I said, all presidents issue these pardons. Uh, a lot of the people who are on the list are names that you have seen in the news um, and, you know, that uh, for, for one reason or another had, you know, some link or connection to the president uh, in, in terms of people that they know in common or they were recommended for pardoned by and so on and so forth. So, you know, and, and I do recall that. Uh, Two of them were actually former uh, elected officials, uh, members of Congress. Uh, He also pardoned uh, the mayor of uh, Detroit, uh, Kwame Kirkpatrick, I believe, and and others uh, who were, you know, politically, political people that had their sentences also uh, pardoned or commuted by the president. Uh, by President Trump and again you know it, it is there's no limit on how many pardons or who a president can pardon uh, for a federal crime uh, there was much discussion about whether or not Donald Trump would pardon members of his family uh, such as his children uh, Jared Kushner uh, you know or you know, try to pardon himself that actually did not happen Uh, He did not issue pardons for his children. He did not uh, try to get himself pardoned. So, you know, interesting development in that. Wow. And the clock on the wall is telling us that we're winding down to the end of this week's show. So I just want to touch on a couple of things uh, that you can expect in upcoming shows right here on Fired Up uh, on WJMSradio.com. We're going to take a a deep look at, of course, the impeachment proceedings of or the trial uh, for former President Trump once that begins in February. But between now and then, we're going to take a look at what's going on with the uh, Biden agenda and, you know, the not only the bills that he's bringing out, but the executive orders that he signs will be reviewing those uh, each and every week and uh we'll look at uh, where things are going and what new developments are coming up in terms of the economic stimulus package and the other things that uh, are are so important for the people of this country who are still uh, suffering and hurting from the effects of the pandemic Uh, in the meantime you know of course we need to make sure that we are, you know, following all of the guidelines from the scientific and medical community, that we are wearing our mask uh, when we're outside, that we are socially distancing when we're in, you know, large groups, uh, you know, 10 or more people, uh, we should be socially distanced. If we can't, then we need to make sure that we wear our mask. Uh, Remember that there is a coming uh, order of requirement for any interstate travel by plane, train, uh, bus, or or boat, that is going to require that you wear a mask at all times, um, you know, and it, it's just good sense to do so. So you know, we've got to make sure that we're doing our part. Uh, once the vaccines uh, come out for a wider dis- distribution, as they uh, begin to move out into, you know, more places where you can get them. You know, I, I urge you to go ahead and, and get your vaccine. Uh, once I am uh, reach my eligibility, I will, in fact, uh, be getting, you know, my vaccine. And if possible, maybe what I'll do is is grab a picture of it and post it on the show's uh, Facebook page. Um and, you know, just make sure that we're doing all we can to stay safe. So, you know, that being said, as always, uh, I really thank you all for listening. Uh, if you want to reach out to the show, please send email to the show at firedupradio at yahoo.com. Uh, look for content coming out from our Twitter feed. And that's also at uh, at are you fired up one word uh, from Twitter. And, you know, just Our Facebook page, as always, uh, will be the place where we put news and uh, events that happen in between shows that we want to make sure you hear. And that's also Fired Up Radio uh, on Facebook.com. That being said, uh, thank you all for listening each week, as always. Uh, This is Steve. I hope all of you will stay safe, and I look forward to speaking again with you in seven days.